Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 102 of the show, and my goodness, it is an action-packed episode this week. There is a ton of stuff to get into, particularly in the National Football League. We just came out of one of the craziest weeks that we've ever seen in the NFL's uh, regular season. Uh, college football bowl games are off and running, so we'll get you caught up to speed on how those have gone. And of course, standings updates in the NHL, the NBA, and then the Around the Island segment has lots of info from a bunch of different sports this week, so that'll be good. But we are going to start off in the National Football League, and how can we not? Okay, this past week was week 15, all right, so we're uh, through 15 weeks. Every team has played 14 games. Three games remaining on every team's schedule. And we got started with a bang this week here in week 15. We actually had three games on Saturday. All right, Minnesota Vikings, Indianapolis Colts, Cleveland Browns, Baltimore Ravens, and then the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. Now, that first game on Saturday was Minnesota and Indianapolis. The 10-3 Vikings against the 4-8-1 Colts. And the score at halftime in this one was 33 to nothing. Indianapolis was winning. That's right. So the Colts had a 33 to nothing lead in, at the half. Go into the second half. It's all Minnesota. And they ended up tying the game at 33, traded some late field goals to get it to 36. And then um, we ended up kicking a game winning field goal. At the end of overtime, the Vikings, Greg Joseph, kicked a field goal as time expired in overtime to give Minnesota the largest comeback in NFL history. So they were down 33-0, ended up winning 39-36 in overtime. Just an absolutely insane game. That game was straight banana land. There was no no doubt about it. Um, when it ended, you knew that was that was a historic game that you had just watched, and it was, in fact, the largest comeback in NFL history. So after that excitement, we go to the middle afternoon game. That was Cleveland and Baltimore, and that was just your typical AFC North, just absolute offensive stinker. Uh, Cleveland ended up beating Baltimore in that game 10-3. to and, and what may have been more surprising than the Vikings' historic comeback was the fact that the Ravens kicker, Justin Tucker, who is statistically the most accurate kicker of all time, certainly the best kicker in the league, one of the best kickers we've ever seen in the NFL. He missed two field goals in that game. So uh, what what was more surprising, the Vikings' 33-point comeback or Justin Tucker missing two field goals? I'm going to say Tucker missing two field goals, honestly, because um, that just doesn't happen. So uh, we get through that game. The nightcap was... Uh, Miami Dolphins traveling to snowy Buffalo to take on the Bills. This game was great. Came down to the wire in the snow. Started snowing with about maybe, what, five or six minutes left in the fourth quarter. 
and Buffalo did it, took a two-minute drive down the field just as they've done multiple times this year and set up a, a game-winning field goal as time expired. It was pretty cool. Uh, the offensive linemen for the Bills were literally using their hands to brush the snow out of the way to clear a path for uh, the, the kicker and the holder to be able to successfully set up that field goal. But uh, so Buffalo won at the buzzer. Now, this was probably the second. I know it was the second, possibly the third time this year that Buffalo has done a two-minute drill to go win the game at the buzzer. Uh, this past week and then back on Thanksgiving, they did it against the Lions. And I, it seems to me they've done it once more earlier in the season. But nonetheless, Baltimore or uh, Buffalo has just, you know, been the uh, the two-minute team this year. And so after those wild games on Saturday, we didn't think it could get any crazier. But then came the Sunday games, and one of the wildest endings that I've ever seen to any single football game, not just the NFL, but college, you know, included in that, was the New England Patriots and the Las Vegas Raiders game. The way that game ended was nothing like I have ever seen before in any football game. And if you follow football, you have seen the play by now, you know what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, basically the game's tied at 24. Uh, There's just a few seconds left on the clock. The Patriots run a draw play. Ramondre Stevenson picks up about 21 yards, uh, laterals it. He gets to the right sideline, laterals it over to Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers runs about five yards back, throws a pass as he's getting crushed, throws a pass backwards across the field with the intention of hitting Mac Jones, the quarterback, with the pass. Uh, Instead, he gets crushed, and the pass gets intercepted by Raiders defensive end Chandler Jones, who uh, picks it off and runs it 45 yards for a game-winning touchdown. That was just simply preposterous. Okay, that, uh, that, that game was tied. That's a play you see when a team is down by a touchdown late in the game as time is about to expire to take it to overtime. Literally all Stevenson had to do was fall down and the game goes to overtime and your chance of winning still stays at 50%. Um, So bad on Stevenson for lateraling it. Even worse on Jacoby Myers for firing that ball across the field as he's getting crushed. So... Uh, that game was just insane. Um, I, again, nothing like I've ever seen before. So you have that on Sunday after these these Saturday games. This Sunday, this week in the NFL was um, the second week in NFL history in which there were three walk-off touchdowns on the same day. So, of course, that was a walk-off touchdown. We had two other games that ended in walk-off touchdowns, both of those games in overtime. The first one um, was the Kansas City Chiefs over the Houston Texans. Now, let me pause it here for a minute. Everybody was giving Dallas shit last week for uh, letting the Texans basically control them most of the game and needing a a two-minute drive and 98 yards to go win the game. But that's what Dallas did. They won in regulation by four. Houston took Kansas City to overtime. So I want everybody to give the Chiefs the same amount of shit you gave the Cowboys because the Chiefs ended up going into overtime against the damn Texans. But Jarek McKinnon uh, ended things for the Chiefs with a 26-yard touchdown run in overtime. So that was uh, walk-off number one. Of course, um, we mentioned the Raiders and the and the Patriots. That was the other walk-off. Then the other one, the third one, was the Jacksonville Jaguars over my Dallas Cowboys. Now, sure, you can give them shit. Um, Dallas certainly uh, dominated the first half, got up by... Uh, quite a bit, 17 points, I think, at one point in the third quarter with like four minutes left. Then it was the Jacksonville show. 
just ugly football by the Cowboys, let the Jags back in. They ended up tying it in the last second field goal, goes into overtime, and in overtime, Dak Prescott tries to hit Noah Brown, a good pass. Brown was diving for it. It hit him in the chest, bounced up, and Jacksonville corner uh, Rayshon Jenkins ended up grabbing it out of the air for a, a pick six. So we had three walk-off touchdowns. We also had two walk-off field goals. Okay, I mentioned Buffalo over Miami was one. The Chargers beat the Titans uh, 17-14. I think there was still a couple seconds left on the clock after the field goal was kicked, but you get the point. It was a walk-off field goal. And then if all of that wasn't crazy enough, we had three comebacks uh, of at least 17 points this week, which is the most 17-point comebacks in one week in NFL history, okay? Uh, the Vikings over the Colts, we talked about that. The Jaguars over the Cowboys, we talked about that. The other one was the Cincinnati Bengals going down to Tampa Bay, uh, getting down by, I think, 17 or 20 points and ended up winning that game by two scores. Uh, just complete domination by the Bengals in the second half, uh, looking really good. So uh, that was that. Just to reiterate how close and exciting all of the football games were this week, the Monday night football game between the Green Bay Packers and the Los Angeles Rams the final score was 24 to 12. Packers won. That 12-point margin of victory was the largest margin of victory in any single game this week, which is, again, just simply um, outrageous. Uh, so that brings us to the standings updates. All right? We don't normally spend a, that much time on the recap, but with this week of football, we had to. I mean, that was that was ridiculous. All right, so... Um, We'll start off in the AFC, the AFC East, the Buffalo Bills, 11-3. and They, uh, with that win over Miami, they, they have clinched a playoff spot in the AFC, uh, have not quite clinched the division. I think they can with a win this week, but uh, nonetheless, the Bills are, are going to win that division. They're 11-3. They're and three. Miami Dolphins are 8-6. and six. Um, Right now, fighting for a wild card spot. Who would have thought that after the start they had, right? I think they started, what, 6-1 and one or... Seven and one, something like that, and uh, here they sit at eight and six, um, losers of three in a row. Um, and then you have the New England Patriots and the New York Jets, both at seven and seven. Again, right there on the cusp of a wild card spot. If the Patriots don't mess that game up at the end uh, with the old pitchy pitchy woo woo uh, that went wrong, uh, and and say they win that game in overtime, Patriots are eight and seven. All right, or uh, eight and six. I mean. And they're right there with Miami, uh, you know, solidly in a playoff spot at the moment instead of fighting for one. So just a weird series of events there. The AFC North, the Cincinnati Bengals are 10-4, and four, right? They look like they are going to win this division. Uh, they've won six games in a row and um, certainly look better at the moment than the Baltimore Ravens, who are 9-5. and five. Now, the Ravens are only one game back. They haven't had Lamar Jackson in a couple of weeks. He should be back here soon. But I don't think that's enough to put them over the Bengals the way that Cincinnati is playing. But still, that is going to come down probably to that final week when those two teams play each other. The Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, they're both 6-8. and eight. Uh, They both won this week, and here they sit. On the outskirts of a wild card spot, not saying they're going to get in, but with a start that the Steelers had, who would have ever thought? I mean, they're six and eight. Their point differential is minus 58, all right, which is absolutely horrendous, all right? That is the 
uh, third worst point differential in the entire AFC, and here they are with six wins. Um, if they can win their final three games and go nine and eight, not saying they will, but if they did, um, that's probably a wild card spot. Which again, it's the Mike Tomlin magic. Um, you just can't. You got to watch it. You can't explain it. AFC South, Tennessee Titans are seven and seven. Right, they had a stranglehold on this division until they've decided to go on a four-game losing streak. They've literally lost every game since Thanksgiving. All right, and here come the Jacksonville Jaguars knocking on the door at six and eight, just one game behind the Titans. All right, and you know Jags have put a couple wins together in a row. I, at this point, the way the Titans have played and the way Jacksonville—I mean, Trevor Lawrence—the last month, six weeks, we'll call it—has looked like a top ten NFL quarterback easily. So, if he's going to continue to play like that. Give me the Jaguars to win that division. Why the hell not? Uh, Titans, they got Derrick Henry, and that's it. You know, um, give me Jacksonville to win that thing if, uh, if if Trevor Lawrence and company is going to keep playing like that. Then you have the Annapolis Colts, 4-9-1. and one. They're on a four-game losing streak, you know, had a 33-point lead and blow it. They don't deserve uh, to get anywhere near the playoffs. And then the Houston Texans, 1-12-1. Again, proud owners of the first overall pick. The AFC West, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, not only have they clinched a playoff spot, uh, they have won the AFC West with their 11-3 record. Okay, they, This is the seventh straight AFC West division title for the Chiefs, which is the second longest division winning streak in NFL history uh, behind the uh, mid-2000s, 2010s uh, New England Patriots team that had 11 in a row. So there are a few behind that, but seven AFC division titles, uh, AFC West division titles in a row. Uh, certainly wouldn't want to play them. Uh, they're obviously one of the best teams in the league. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers, eight and six. Okay, currently in a wild card spot. All right, they've done well the last couple of weeks, winning two big games. They're they're on a two game winning streak. Um, certainly with that team, I think they're in the playoffs. But you know, the NFL this year is, has been pretty much anything but predictable. The Las Vegas Raiders somehow off of that miracle victory are at 6 and 8, right? Record-wise, they're tied with Pittsburgh and Cleveland, just a game behind the Jets and the Patriots there. So again, not likely that the Raiders will be in the playoffs, but again, after that early first 5-6 weeks, you know, we didn't think that, you know, they would be anywhere near a wild card spot, and yet here they sit. And then the Denver Broncos at four and ten, they did win this week, but they, uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a top top five draft pick for the Broncos probably. Over in the NFC, the NFC East, the Philadelphia Eagles are thirteen and one. Uh, they got some bad news though. Jalen Hurts, quarterback, MVP front runner at the moment, sprained his right shoulder, which is his throwing shoulder, in the game against Chicago this past week. It's possible that he misses this weekend's game against Dallas. It's also possible that he misses the game the, the week after that. Now, uh, I don't think the Cowboys are catching the Eagles. If the Eagles beat the Cowboys this weekend, they will clinch uh, the NFC East and the top overall seed. So, you know, we'll see. But uh, the Eagles have clinched a playoff spot at this moment. So, too, have my Dallas Cowboys at 10-4. and four. All right, they lost to Jacksonville, but they are still in the playoffs. 
All right, uh, officially, looks like they're going to be the best of the wild card teams, probably that five seed. They're going to have to turn it around, right? Uh, they lost to Jacksonville, barely beat Houston, all right? And that's two weeks in a row they've not looked great. I think the week before that was the Indianapolis game where they thumped them and looked like the Super Bowl champs, you know? So it's just some bipolar football being played by Dallas, and they're going to have to figure it out before um, their season goes belly up there in the wild card round. Uh, but the Cowboys are in. New York Giants, huge win on Sunday night football over Washington. Gives the Giants an 8-5-1 and one record to the Commanders, 7-6-1 and one record. All right, so Washington still has a, a puncher's chance there with that tie. Uh, but that win for the Giants was huge. The NFC North, uh, Minnesota Vikings, uh, they have clinched the NFC North division title. All right, so they're in the playoffs. They're 11-3. And um, they are just, they've won 10 of their 14 games this year have been one-score games, all right? And they've, they've, won, they've won 10 uh, one-score games, which is just insane. Uh, they've also gotten pummeled a couple of times. But um, Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson, he needs just 341 receiving yards over the final three weeks to set the NFL's single-season receiving record. And for much of the season, it looked like this record was going to be shattered by Miami Dolphins wide receiver Tyreek Hill, but he's put in a couple quiet weeks in a row, and Justin Jefferson has taken advantage of that, and he looks like he is the most likely candidate to break the record. 341 yards over the next three weeks, um, certainly, certainly doable for, for Justin Jefferson. Hell, he could do it, you know, in the next two weeks with the way that he's played this season, but uh, keep an eye on that. At 7-7, seven and seven, the Detroit Lions are second in the NFC North and on the outskirts of a wild card spot. They literally started the season 1-6, and six, and now they're 7-7, seven and seven, okay? They have won three games in a row. They've won six out of their last seven. Uh, just ridiculous right now. And that only loss I mentioned uh, last week was against Buffalo on Thanksgiving on a last-second field goal. So Dan Campbell's got those boys fired up. Don't know if they're going to have the gas to get in, uh, but their schedule certainly is favorable. They have uh, Carolina, Chicago, and Green Bay, I think, as their final three games. So, I mean, that's that's about as winnable as it gets, I think, for the Lions. Uh, they realistically probably can get in with two wins, but um, who knows? Uh, Detroit's playing meaningful football in December, which is um, that hasn't happened uh, in a long time. Green Bay Packers, 6-8, and eight, fresh off their Monday night football victory over L.A. Uh, again, they need a lot of stuff to go wrong elsewhere, uh, and they need to win out. But, you know, if anybody can get it done, it's Aaron Rodgers. And then the Chicago Bears at 3-11, and 11, uh, they're eliminated from the playoffs. Quarterback Justin Fields, though, he eclipsed the 1,000 rushing yard mark this past week, which made him only the third quarterback in NFL history to have 1,000 rushing yards in a single season the other two being Michael Vick and Lamar Jackson. So the future is certainly bright there in Chicago with Justin Fields, but not this year. Over in the NFC South, this is um, just, uh, you know, I keep using the word poop show every week, and that's basically what it is. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're your division leaders at 6-8. and eight. That 6-8 and eight record for a division leader is the worst record for a division leader 
15 weeks into the regular season in NFL history. All right, so we're talking like this division is historically shitty this year, and uh, the Buccaneers uh, are definitely not the team they were the past couple years. Um, I, somebody's got to win this thing by default. But the funny thing is, is that Tampa Bay six and eight. The other three teams in that division, Carolina, New Orleans, and Atlanta, are all five and nine. So they're all one game back of Tampa Bay. So, uh, and I'm sure there's at least another one or two divisional games to be played uh, over the next couple weeks in that division. So Tampa Bay currently sits in first, but it's it literally takes one win by Carolina, New Orleans, or Atlanta this week and a loss by Tampa again, and that division's tied. Um, so, yikes. NFC West, San Francisco 49ers, they have clinched the NFC West with their 10-4 and record. Uh, they are playing some amazing football. They've won seven in a row. The way that Brock Purdy's playing, again, um, you know, I've talked about how this San Francisco offense is built to have a subpar quarterback succeed, like, or average quarterback, you know, like Jimmy Garoppolo um, and Brock Purdy, a seventh-round rookie, mystery relevant. Like, this offense is built to make them be able to succeed. Uh, but Brock, the way Brock Purdy's playing, he's he's playing like a first-round quarterback in his two-and-a-half games, all right? He has played like a first-round quarterback. And um, Brock Purdy actually joined Aaron Rodgers as the only two quarterbacks since 1950 to have a passer rating of at least 115 in each of his first two career starts, all right? So he's played his ass off, and uh, he is a big reason why uh, that the 49ers team has been able to clinch the NFC West even without uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. So uh, I I wouldn't want to play San Francisco in the playoffs. I damn sure wouldn't. They'll be getting Debo Samuel back here probably in a couple weeks. But, yeah, I wouldn't want to play them. Uh, They might be the best team in the NFC, either them or Philly, um, you know. uh, But we'll see. Uh, Seattle Seahawks, 7-7. All right, they're – uh, they they lost uh, this week to San Francisco. I think it was San Francisco. But uh, either way, uh, they lost, and, um, you know, their best they can hope for is a wild card. And then you have Arizona Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams, both at 4-10. and 10. Um, That Rams record at 4-10, and 10, that 10 loss mark is now the most losses ever by a defending Super Bowl champion. That tied the 1999 Denver Broncos for the most all-time. Uh, and the Rams have three games left. And the way that they're playing, surely they'll lose at least one more of their final three games to completely own that record of having uh, the most losses ever by a defending Super Bowl champion. Okay, So uh, that's how the standings sit right now. Uh, we got some exciting football games again this week, some dandies, all right? Uh, it is Christmas Eve uh, slash Christmas Day weekend, okay? Obviously, Saturday is Christmas Eve, and Sunday is Christmas Day. And so we actually have a, a role reversal there with the amount of games being played. Um, we have 11 NFL games. Of course, our Thursday night game is the Jaguars and the Jets, okay? That actually, uh, at the beginning of the year, probably looked like a, a toilet bowl of a game, but... That has quickly turned into a very meaningful and important game for both teams in that AFC playoff picture. So that's a doozy there on Thursday. Saturday, we have 11 NFL games on Saturday. Okay, 
some of the big ones, right? Uh, Detroit going to Carolina. All right. That is huge for both of those teams. Obviously, Detroit trying to continue their winning and get into the playoffs. Carolina is trying to catch Tampa Bay uh, for the division lead at six wins. Okay. So that's a big one. Uh, the New Orleans Saints at the Cleveland Browns. Obviously, Saints, again, same boat as Carolina, trying to get to six wins to tie Tampa Bay. Cleveland hanging on there in the AFC uh, by a thread. Seattle goes to Kansas City. Um, you know, that's a huge one for the Seahawks. The New York Giants go to Minnesota. Certainly more important for the Giants than it is the Vikings. Uh, Bengals, they go to Foxborough to play the Patriots. That is massive. Uh, for New England, if they can get that one, you know, Bengals win that. They're just one one game closer to clinching that division. Uh, the Washington Commanders, they go out to San Francisco to play the Niners. That's huge for, for Washington, right? San Francisco's already won their division, so they're in. But Washington's hanging on by a thread right now. The biggest game of the week is Philadelphia coming to Dallas here to play the Cowboys Saturday afternoon. All right, uh, Jalen Hurts doesn't appear likely to play, so it might be Gardner Minshew versus Dak Prescott. And God, I surely hope. Well, when the Cowboys went up to Philly, we went up there with Cooper Rush uh, and got beat. So I surely hope that the Eagles, if they come down here with Gardner Minshew, we can hold up our end of the deal and return the favor there by beating the Eagles. Uh, we'll see on that. Huge game Saturday night, Las Vegas at Pittsburgh. I mean, both of those teams, 6-8. and eight. Again, a win gives them 7 and an uh, inch closer to uh, a wild card spot. On Christmas Day, there, Sunday, Christmas Day, there are only three NFL football games, one at noon, one at 3.30, one at 7.20. Those are all Eastern times. The Packers go to Miami. Again, huge game for both teams. Must win for Green Bay, uh, and frankly, probably for Miami too. Uh, Denver goes to L.A. in the middle game. That's going to be a toilet bowl game. And then Tampa Bay at, at night. Tampa Bay goes to Arizona in what you would think should be an easy win for Tampa given the injuries of Arizona. But, uh, you know, the way football this year, uh, anything goes. And then Monday night game, the Los Angeles Chargers go to Indianapolis to play the Colts. So a very, very good weekend uh, coming off the heels of the most exciting week of NFL football that, we've seen all year. Uh, we get another week, a uh, holiday weekend, Christmas day, lots of exciting football on Christmas Eve. And, uh, we will obviously have plenty to talk about, uh, next week and maybe flip our standings updates to uh, a playoff preview based on the current standings with only a couple weeks left. So we will check back in next week and see just how crazy week 16 was, but we'll move over to college football and uh, get you caught up on how the bowl games have gone. Last week we talked about all 42 bowl games, and I uh, just told you the matchups and whatnot. Uh, we got started on Friday last week, December 16th, with a couple of bowl games. The first one was the hometown Lenders Bahamas Bowl. It was Alabama-Birmingham versus Miami of Ohio. Uh, UAB was actually a double-digit favorite in this game, they ended up winning, but it was a 24-20 final, so a little closer than expected. The uh, Duluth Trading Cure Bowl, right, that uh, was in Orlando. It was uh, University of Texas San Antonio against Troy. This was probably one of the closer games in, in terms of uh, hardest ones to pick. 
and we, the point spread was very close. We knew it was going to be a good game, and it was. Uh, Troy ended up beating UTSA 18-12 to in that one. A uh, good, solid game there. Uh, UTSA was up for a majority of that game, and uh, Troy ended up coming back. The next day there, Saturday, December 17th, we had uh, several bowl games. All right, started off with the Wasabi Fenway Bowl. That was at Fenway Park there in Boston. It was Louisville versus Cincinnati. Not really sure. Uh, Louisville's coach ended up leaving to go coach Cincinnati uh, just, you know, a week or so before this bowl game went down. So that was kind of an interesting fact. I thought this game would be a little closer than it was. Uh, Louisville ended up winning 24-7. to Not real close there. The Cricket Celebration Bowl, this thing, uh, it was from uh, Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, featured North Carolina Central and Jackson State. Now, I, you know, Jackson State came into this game, uh, a couple of FCS teams, and uh, they came in undefeated. You know, Deion Sanders leaving, but all of his kids still played in this game before they transferred out. A lot of them are going to transfer, but they all still played. So that undefeated team that played all year, uh, played in this game, and they ended up losing in overtime 41-34 uh, after a bad, bad drop in the end zone there uh, in overtime, I think it was. <clears throat> so Jackson State uh, went undefeated and then lost their bowl game. So uh, the next one was the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl, of course, from Allegiant Stadium in Vegas, Oregon State and Florida. Uh, this game, the line kind of got out of hand on this game with uh, all the, the – Issues going on at Florida, and Oregon State just absolutely pummeled them. 30-3 to was never close at any point. The Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl, uh, that was at SoFi Stadium there in Inglewood. Uh, this was Fresno State and Washington State. I thought this game would be a tad bit closer than it was, um, but uh, I did see Fresno winning. Fresno did win 29-6 to over Wazoo. Uh, it just I thought it would would have been a tad bit closer, but nonetheless, Fresno State won that one. The Lending Tree Bowl uh, from Mobile, Alabama, was Southern Miss versus Rice. Uh, the line on this thing coming in again favored Southern Miss heavily, and they ended up winning thirty-eight to twenty-four, thanks to like three hundred rushing yards by Frank Gore Jr. And that's right, you heard me, Frank Gore Jr. Right? I know uh, how many of you have watched Frank Gore in the NFL. You know, tear it up for a decade and a half. Well, his kid now is is in college doing the same thing, so that's a feel-old moment. Uh, the New Mexico Bowl was BYU and SMU. This was a damn good game. Uh, this was another one. I think SMU was technically favored by like five, uh, but I did pick BYU in my uh, my bowl pick em. BYU ended up winning uh, 24-23. Now, SMU scored a touchdown very late in the game with like eight seconds left. Uh, to make it 24-23. They opted to go for two points for the win, and they did not get it. So BYU hung on there for a victory. That game was in Albuquerque. The Frisco Bowl was at Toyota Stadium here in Frisco, Texas. That was Boise State and North Texas. Now, the line on this game was double digits, I think, as well. Uh, And this game was back and forth, man. North Texas just wouldn't go away. They, They kept answering everything Boise State did. Now, Boise State did come out with the win, 35-32, but again, that was a very close game. That was late at night on Saturday, so that was fun to watch. Bring us to Monday, December 19th, all right? That was the Myrtle Beach Bowl. It was Marshall versus UConn there at Conway, South Carolina, home of the uh, coastal Chanticleers there, the, the turquoise field. 
Uh, Marshall was a double-digit favorite in this one, and uh, it was all Marshall. They got up 28-0, ended up giving up two touchdowns late in the fourth quarter. So the final score was Marshall 28, UConn 14. Um, But again, uh, that that game was very difficult to watch for the first probably two quarters. Um, It was just some ugly, ugly football being played there, but Marshall came out on top. So uh, those are the first 10 bowl games to take place. That is where we are as it sits now. And uh, next week we'll get you caught up uh, starting with uh, the games that happened on Tuesday, December 20th. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League, do a standings update here in the NHL. Most teams have played about 31 to 34 games, so only a few more games than uh, last week's episode you know they haven't changed much we'll just um we'll we'll just do the standings updates basically i'll tell you the points that they have on the year of course remember in hockey a win is two points overtime or shootout loss is one point so that's how standing points are calculated uh in the eastern conference the metropolitan division the new jersey devils are up top there with 44 points all right they've lost three games in a row though uh so they're taking on a little bit of water uh, Jack Hughes, though, their young center, Jack Hughes, he set an NHL record this week by recording the longest shift in NHL history. Okay, Jack Hughes' shift the other night was six minutes long, which is the new record. Now, if you I play hockey, all right? Six minutes on the ice at any level, let alone the NHL, is uh, absolutely exhausting. I'm not sure how he did it, but uh, yeah, so that is a record that was set this past week. Carolina Hurricanes, they have 44 points as well. Uh, New Jersey has two more wins in the same amount of games played. Um, Hurricanes have a few more overtime losses, so they, they're still at 44 points. They've won five games in a row, including nine out of their last ten. So Carolina's playing some really good hockey. Uh, the New York Rangers have 41 points. They have won seven games in a row and uh, are the hottest team in the NHL right now. Um, Pittsburgh Penguins, they're 40 points, all right, so they're just below New York. Uh, they were on a bit of a heater, have cooled off a little bit. New York Islanders and Washington Capitals both have 38 points. Uh, as of this recording, Alex Ovechkin's still sitting at 800 career goals, needs one more to tie Gordie Howe. Philadelphia Flyers are at 27 points. And then the Columbus Blue Jackets are at 22 points, all right? Last in the Metro, uh, losing four in a row. Over in the Atlantic Division of the Eastern Conference, the Boston Bruins pace the Eastern Conference with 52 points, okay? They are just playing on another level. They've won 17 out of their first 19 home games, all right? Uh, Just, I mean, really just exceptional hockey Toronto Maple Leafs at 44 points, all right. Um, They have lost a couple in a row, but they're still there at 44 points. Tampa Bay Lightning, 41 points. They've won eight out of their last 10, including five in a row, so they're playing some good hockey going into uh, Christmas. Buffalo Sabres, they've climbed up a little bit, all right. They're up to 34 points. They have won four games in a row. All right, now I've talked about them as being the team with the most goals scored in the NHL over the last few episodes. They still currently have the most goals scored uh, as of this recording, and they have won four games in a row because of that. So they're up to fourth in the Atlantic, which is a a pretty, I think, 
they were sixth last week, so they've moved up two spots in the standings uh, over the last week, and that's due in large part to that four-game winning streak. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're playing good hockey. Florida Panthers are fifth in the Atlantic with 34 points. Uh, they're, again, they're tied in points with Buffalo, but they have one fewer uh, win. So uh, they're fifth. The Detroit Red Wings have fallen back a little bit. They have 33 points, so they're right there in that Florida-Buffalo mix. Uh, but they've only won twice in their last 10. Not ideal. Uh, Montreal Canadiens, 32 points. And then the Ottawa Senators are at 30 points to uh, be in the basement of the Atlantic Division. Over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, my Dallas Stars are still on top there with 44 points. Right? They've won six out of their last 10. Still seeing a little uh, a little bipolar hockey from the Stars. All right, um, you know, play good, play bad, um, you know, kind of deal. Jake Ottinger, you know, played really well the other night. He's kind of struggled over the last couple weeks, but he's he finally got it got it back. It looks like uh, so the Stars are at forty four points. Winnipeg Jets have forty one points. The Minnesota Wild, here they come, 38 points, third in the Central. They're on a five-game winning streak, winners of eight out of their last ten. Uh, hottest team in the Western Conference right now, the Wild are. So they're up to 38 points. The Colorado Avalanche are fourth in the Central, 36 points, still dealing with some injuries. St. Louis Blues, all right, here they come again. They talk about being bipolar. My goodness, that's uh, that's been the story of the Blues season. They're up to 33 points. They're fifth in the Central. They have won four games in a row to propel them up there. Nashville Predators are sixth in the Central with 30 points. It's been kind of a down year for them. Arizona Coyotes have 25 points. And then the Chicago Blackhawks at 18 points which is last in the Central, actually last in the entire NHL. Um, They've only won once in their last 10 games. They've lost seven in a row. Over in the Pacific Division, the Vegas Golden Knights at 45 points. They've lost a couple games in a row. Los Angeles Kings have moved up into that two spot uh, with 39 points. Seattle Kraken still hanging tough there, 37 points. Those two teams flip-flopped this past week. Uh, both of those teams have only won five out of their last ten, though. So, um, you know, again, we should see that continue to flip-flop back and forth. Edmonton Oilers, uh, they're up to 36 points now, fourth in the Pacific, just a point back of Seattle. And uh, Calgary Flames, they're at 34 points, fifth in the Pacific. Vancouver Canucks at 29 points. San Jose Sharks at 26 points. And then last in the Pacific, the Anaheim Ducks at 21 points. They are the second worst team in the Western Conference, although they have won a couple games in a row. So pretty early in the NHL season. Again, uh, we're approaching the Christmas weekend, so every team will have, uh, I think, probably three days off over the over the Christmas weekend. So uh, the standings here probably won't change much to next week, but we'll Go ahead and uh, take a look next week and see where we're at with that. But we'll move over to the NBA, do a standings update here uh, in the NBA. Most teams have played between 30, say 30 to 31 games so far. So they're just, uh, they're pretty much right on 
right on par with the NHL season, maybe a couple games behind in some instances. But, you know, the NHL doesn't play over Christmas. Uh, and, the of course, the NBA uh, thrives on that Christmas Day slate. So we'll do a look uh, here at the standings updates in the Eastern Conference. The top team in the East is is new this week. Uh, it's the Milwaukee Bucks. They're 22-8. and eight. Not only are they the best team in the East, they're the best team in the NBA record-wise. They've won seven out of their last ten. They have passed the Boston Celtics, who are 22-9, and nine, right? Lost a couple games in a row this week. Uh, Cleveland Cavaliers are at 21-11. and 11. They've won four games in a row, um, looking pretty solid. I mean, that, that combination of Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, uh, certainly one of the better um, backcourts uh, in the NBA. And then the Brooklyn Nets. Here they come, all right? We've talked about them a lot on this podcast. Uh, they really had a horrible start to the season, but they're up to 19-12. and 12. Uh, They've won six in a row, nine out of their last ten. Uh, Kevin Durant had another 40-burger the other night um, doing what he does, so uh, if they're going to get production like that from Durant and Irving, um, you know, this team is is certainly one of the best in the East on paper. Another hot streak going on, the Philadelphia 76ers. They're 17-12. and 12. They've won five in a row. Uh, they're fifth in the East. And then the New York Knicks, they are up to sixth in the East uh, at 17-13, and 13, thanks to a seven-game winning streak right now. Eight out of their last ten they've won, so they're playing some damn good basketball as well. The Miami Heat are seventh in the Eastern Conference at 16-15. and 15. They have won four games in a row. Look at all these winning streaks in the East. That's in large part to Tyler Hero, all right? The other night, Tyler Hero, who is 22 years and 329 days old, became the youngest player in Miami Heat franchise history to record a 40-point game. And in doing so, he passed, of course, the uh, the great Dwayne Wade, who at the time of his first 40-point game was 23 years old and 87 days, all right? So um, Tyler Hero beat... Dwayne Wade there to set the new Heat record. Eighth in the East, the Atlanta Hawks are 16 and 15. Ninth, Indiana uh, Indiana Pacers, 15 and 16. They've lost a couple in a row. And then 10th in the Eastern Conference, really taking on water, the Toronto Raptors. They're 13 and 18. They've lost six in a row and eight out of their last 10. So they are going in the opposite direction. Chicago Bulls are 11th at 11 and 18. They've lost four in a row. The Washington Wizards, oh boy. Okay, they're they're 11 and 20, and they have lost the last 10 games in a row. Okay, um, so they were 11 and 10. Now they're 11 and 20, currently sitting 12th in the East, which, um, yeah, I'm not great at math, but 10, 10 game losing streak, that's, uh, that's not, not good. 13th Orlando Magic, 11 and 21. Uh, they have been actually playing okay. They've won six out of their last 10. Oh, they're hurting themselves in terms of their, their uh, draft lottery status, but rookie Paulo Bancaro, man, he uh, he's had another 30 point game the other night. He was the first overall pick in the draft. That guy is the real deal. Charlotte Hornets are 14th at 8 and 23. Uh, they've only won twice in their last 10. And then the Detroit Pistons, 
camping out there in the basement of the East at 8-24. and 24. Over in the Western Conference, the Memphis Grizzlies uh, are up top. That's a new team, okay? And we'll get to last week it was New Orleans, all right? We'll, we'll talk about them in a minute. But Memphis currently at 19-10 and 10 is first in the Western Conference. They've won eight out of their last ten. The Denver Nuggets have climbed up to the second spot at 18-11. and 11. They've won six out of their last ten. And the other night, Nikola Jokic, who is the uh, NBA MVP, I think he's the two-time winner of that award, uh, he went off this past Sunday. He became the third player in NBA history to have 40 points, 25 rebounds, and 10 assists in the same game. Just a monster game. The other two to do that in NBA history are Wilt Chamberlain, and uh, Elgin Baylor. So uh, some elite company there for Jokic. He has the, the Nuggets up to second in the West. Third is the Phoenix Suns at 19-12. and 12. They uh, have won three games in a row. Devin Booker put up a 58-point effort the other night. Just a massive, massive game there for Phoenix, who's playing really well. Fourth place in the West, the New Orleans Pelicans. Last week's episode, they were first in the West, and now they are fourth uh, at 18 and 12, that is thanks in part to a four-game losing streak. They have not won since last week's episode, and um, now they currently find themselves fourth. Los Angeles Clippers fifth at 18 and 14. Sacramento Kings at 16 and 13, currently sitting in the sixth spot. Seventh in the Western Conference, the Portland Trailblazers at 17 and 14. Eighth, Minnesota Timberwolves at 16 and 15. They're riding a three-game winning streak. The Utah Jazz at 17 and 16. And my Dallas Mavericks are 10th in the West at 15 and 16. Just a weird season for the Mavericks. All right. They made the Western Conference final last year, took it to a game seven, and um, you know, almost made the NBA finals. And here they are struggling to be 500. Uh, and I've said this, for I think, for the last two episodes, and I'm going to say it again. The Mavericks have to make a trade ASAP to bring in another scoring, op- legitimate scoring option. Trade away draft picks. Trade away our good young players other than Luka. I don't care. Luka needs another legitimate scoring option, okay, because the Mavericks are just not getting it done. And Luka is carrying the team on his back, and he can only do so much. So the Mavericks... Man, I thought for sure they were a playoff team at the beginning of the year, but you know clearly their record indicates that they are highly mediocre, which in the Western Conference, mediocre is not good enough. Golden State Warriors at 11th in the West at 15 and 16, that same record as Dallas. The Los Angeles Lakers are 12th in the West at 13 and 17. Uh, they got some tough news. Forward Anthony Davis who else, right? He's going to miss multiple weeks with a right foot injury. I think they said three or four weeks. Um, and he's been playing some really good basketball the last couple of weeks, all right? Uh, had a 50-point, 20-rebound night, I think, a week and a half ago. Um, but that's, you know, it's Anthony Davis. It's what you expect. Um, there's three things guaranteed in life, you know, death, taxes, and an Anthony Davis injury uh, at some point during the NBA season. So, uh, you, you count on it, but when he's healthy, he's definitely a top 10 player in the league. Uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, 13th in the West at 13 and 18. Shea Gildish, uh, Gilgis Alexander just continues to be an absolute superstar. He puts up 30 points, you know, seems like night after night, hit the game winning shot the other night. 
Um, certainly the bright spot of that franchise, who has about 100 first-round picks over the next six years. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs, they're 14th at 10-20. and 20. And then the last place team in the Western Conference, the Houston Rockets at 9-21. and 21. All right, third worst record in the NBA, losers of three in a row. All right, so I mentioned that the, you know, the NBA, unlike the NHL, the NBA does like to play on Christmas Day, right? We do have um, a handful of games, some good ones on Christmas Day, five games to be exact on Christmas Day this weekend, which is Sunday, right? Obviously, Christmas Day, Sunday. We get started early, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, Philadelphia 76ers and New York Knicks, as I just mentioned, both of those teams riding um, five-game winning streaks, right? At least five-game winning streaks, so that'll be a good game. The game after that is the Los Angeles Lakers coming here to Dallas to play my Mavericks. Um, You know, Luka versus LeBron, certainly that's, that's something worth watching. The early evening game, Milwaukee Bucks go to the Boston Celtics. They're the top two teams in the entire league right now, let alone the Eastern Conference. So that's going to be a heavyweight bout. The um, early night game, Memphis Grizzlies go to Golden State to play the Warriors. Right, that That's going to be a damn good game. And then the nightcap, late, late at night, the Phoenix Suns go to Denver to play the Denver Nuggets. All right, so all of those games, all right, um, standings wise are are really close, right? And they should all be good games. But there's there are superstars to watch in all five of those games on both teams. So if you like NBA basketball and want to uh, you know continue the tradition of watching basketball on Christmas Day, uh, you got five good legitimate game options to view this week. So um, we will check back in. Uh, next week and do a standings update and see how much they've changed uh, after these uh, Christmas weekend games. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. Uh, A lot of the major uh, sports have some stuff going on this week, so it's a loaded one for you. We'll start off in the National Football League. Last week's episode, I mentioned that uh, Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones had come out and said he's got plans to renovate and upgrade AT&T Stadium uh, to the tune of $295 million. Uh, This past week, though, Denver Broncos announced that they have plans to upgrade their stadium, which is Empower Field at Mile High, to the tune of $100 million. Now, these upgrades are scheduled to be done uh, before the start of next year's NFL season, the 2023 regular season, so those will take place over the summer, I'm sure. Cowboys upgrades are, are, I think, mainly in preparation for the 2026 World Cup. So that's why those are a tad bit more expensive and probably are going to take a little bit longer. So I just thought it was interesting that within a one-week time frame, we had two stadiums, uh, or two, two owners come out and say that they're renovating their new, you know, their, their stadiums to, to newer stuff. But over in the National Hockey League uh, this past week, uh, the NHL came out and uh, said that they're beginning to have discussions on expanding their regular season from 82 games to 84 games. Now, you know, as we sit here, that, you know, two games, you know, that really not that big of a difference uh, considering the games are spread out, you know, over a a six-month time frame instead of the NFL, you know, where you 
you play one game a week. The NHL plays multiple games a week, but it's spread out over the course of six months. So two games over an NHL season, uh, that's really not an issue. But the purpose of that uh, is to create a more regional rivalry matchup you know, frequency since some of the teams have complained about the imbalanced number of divisional games against rivals. Okay, so currently, the way that the NHL's regular season schedule is constructed for each team, each team plays either three or four games against other divisional opponents for a total of 26 divisional games. They play three games against the other Uh, the non-divisional opponents within their own conference. That totals 24 games. And then they play two games, one home and one away, against opponents from the other conference for a total of 32 games. So that's how the schedule is broken down. So they're basically wanting uh, those extra two games to both be divisional games, all right? So the purpose of adding those two games would be to allow the NHL to keep that current schedule format, which I think is is nice because you play uh, two games against the other conference, every team in the other conference, and you play three games against your non-divisional opponents, then you play three or four games against divisional opponents. So I think that's a fair way to do it. Um, so the purpose for that, you add the two games, but you keep the current format, all right, but then you make sure every divisional rivalry has a total of four games. You play every division team four times. All right. Now, I guess the report said that the, you know, in theory, the idea is that divisional games typically draw larger crowds, bigger TV audiences. I mean, I I don't know if that's, you know, accurate or not, um, you know, because there's some uh, pretty good matchups outside of your division uh, that can draw a pretty big crowd. But nonetheless, what was shocking to me is I didn't know this, but the NHL had previously done an 84-game regular season uh, from 1992 to 1994. So a couple of seasons uh, back in the early 90s, they, they did play 84 regular season games, which I did not know. Um, their extra two games there were neutral site games, all right, which that seems kind of interesting. But, um, you know, this whole plan for the NHL, it's in the early stages of discussion. So there's no report on how soon... Uh, this would be voted or implemented, you know, I mean, this is just basic preliminary discussions about uh, this possibly being a thing, but uh, this past, uh, we'll move over to Major League Baseball, all right, this past Tuesday, uh, December 20th, was the 100-day mark until opening day, so uh, it just feels like the offseason has flown by, so we're already inside of 100 days until opening day, and we're still having major free agents sign. There were no notable trades this past week in in Major League Baseball, um, but we did have a lot more free agent signings uh, of note. All right, the free agent markets continued to be hot. Most of the big names uh, signed in the first couple weeks of free agency, which we've discussed the last two episodes. Uh, But we did have some more big-name free agents, I think the last of the Mohicans here uh, this week. Uh, The New York Yankees... They signed the best remaining starting pitcher on the market, Carlos Rodon, six years, $162 million to solidify that rotation that, of course, also features Garrett Cole and Nestor Cortez, so that's pretty scary there for the Yanks. The Chicago Cubs, they gave shortstop Dansby Swanson seven years, $177 million. 
uh, pretty excessive for, uh, you know, I'd say he's above average. I wouldn't say he's elite. And the Chicago White Sox, they signed outfielder Andrew Benatendi, five years, $75 million. That's a pretty big deal. Of course, the Yankees acquired him at the trade deadline last year, let him walk in free agency. Boston Red Sox, they signed third baseman Justin Turner, two years, $22 million. Now that contract includes an opt-out after this first upcoming season. The Los Angeles Dodgers, they signed a couple of uh, veteran players. The first one was uh, pitcher Noah Syndergaard, one year, $13 million, uh, Thor, as he's called. And then also they signed designated hitter J.D. Martinez, one year, $10 million. So a little upgrade veteran presence there in that Dodger lineup. Uh, San Diego Padres, they made a couple more more role player signings, not splashy by any means, but can certainly be useful. Uh, First one was relief pitcher uh, Seth Lugo, two years, $15 million. Then they also signed outfielder Matt Carpenter, one year, uh, with an option for <clears throat> the 2024 season. Houston Astros re-signed outfielder Michael Brantley, one year, $12 million. Baltimore Orioles signed second baseman Adam Frazier, one year, $8 million. And then the Minnesota Twins, they signed outfielder Joey Gallo, uh, one year, $11 million. You know, interesting signing, giving Gallo $11 million. I mean, when his bat is on, uh, the dude can hit 40, 50 home runs in a season, but, you know, it's going to come at a at a 202 batting average, you know, with with 200 strikeouts. So that's just the price you pay. Now, this isn't a free agent signing, but it's something to keep note of. Uh, last week, I mentioned the San Francisco Giants. They signed shortstop Carlos Correa, 13 years, $350 million. Well, they were set to uh, do his introductory press conference this week, uh, but news came out on Tuesday that they have they are postponing that after there was basically some sort of red flag come up on his physical. Um, so keep an eye on that. You know, he seems he's a young dude. He seems healthy. Uh, not really sure what that could be, but uh, boy, wouldn't that be something if they nixed that contract because uh, of some medical issue? Man, that that would be pretty insane. Uh, over in college football. Uh, Purdue University, the Boilermakers, they have announced the hiring of NFL future Hall of Fame quarterback Drew Brees as their new interim assistant coach, all right? Um, Of course, they're looking for a head coach because Jeff Bohm jettisoned for Louisville, right? But obviously, we know Drew Brees, he was a star for Purdue back in the day. We all know what he's done in the NFL, certainly a future Hall of Famer. Uh, I can see him ultimately becoming the head coach at Purdue if that's what he wants to do, but I think Purdue wants to uh, ease him in, make him an interim assistant coach, and kind of see how that goes, and then they can go on from there. But uh would not shock me one bit if Drew Brees ends up becoming the head coach at Purdue. Uh, over on the PGA Tour, uh, we didn't talk about golf this past week. Uh, the PNC Championship was this past week, and that's a cool tournament because that's where the PGA Tour, it's uh, two, uh, uh, 20 two-man teams. All right, The PGA Tour players are paired with uh, a family member, most commonly like a son or a father uh, that they get to play with. Well, this year's winner was Vijay Singh and his son Quas. Now they won with a score of twenty six under par. It's it's you know the format's different for the four days or whatever. It's it's a pretty cool tournament. But 
they won with a score of 26 under par, which was a two-shot victory over John Daly and his son, who actually were the defending champions, uh, and also Justin Thomas and his dad, who won this event in 2020. So um, the Sings beat the Daly's and the Thomases, who were the last two uh, reigning champions of this thing. Tiger Woods and his son Charlie, uh, who, by the way, is just a damn good golfer. Uh, he's going to be on the PGA Tour probably at 16 years old here. And what if that's? I think he's 12 or 13, so something like that. Uh, yeah, he's he's going to be on the tour quicker than than we expect. Uh, they tied for eighth in this tournament. Uh, started out pretty well. Um, kind of fell flat over the weekend, but I only note this tournament because this was. Uh, the Sings' 16th time playing in this tournament, and it was their first victory. So it uh, took 16 tries to finally get a victory. Uh, VJ started bringing his son, Quass, to this tournament to play when he was 13 years old, very similarly to what Tiger's doing with Charlie. So um, that's interesting that their first victory came in their 16th appearance in this thing. Uh, and some other notable PGA Tour news, the Augusta National Golf Club, Right, They announced this past week that any golfer who qualified for the Masters based on the previous criteria will again be invited to play in the Masters again in 2023. This includes the 16 players uh, who are currently playing on the Live Golf Tour. Okay, uh, Six previous Masters champions uh, that are playing on the Live Golf Tour, uh, Dustin Johnson, Bubba Watson, Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia, Patrick Reed, and Charles Schwartzel. All six of those guys are going to be able to play in the Masters this year, along with um, uh, the other 10 PGA Tour players uh, who qualified for this event who are also on the Live Golf Tour. All right, you know, A lot of tournaments are basically uh, shunning the Live Golf Tour members, even if you uh, were successful on the PGA Tour. So, uh, it'll be, you know, that's the great debate, PGA or LIV, live, you know, wh- which one? And um, it doesn't seem like they're merging anytime soon, so uh, this is just going to be a debate that continues to go on. But uh, the live golf players will be able to play in the Masters uh, for this upcoming uh, April. And finally, uh, this will be a first on the old Sports Island podcast, the World Cup uh, soccer uh, that's that's the first. I don't think I've ever talked about soccer on this show. But here we are. The World Cup has officially ended. Argentina is your World Cup champion. They defeated France in the World Cup final. It was a 3-3 draw, but uh, we had some late, crazy late-game excitement. We had two goals in extra time uh, to tie it. World-class save by the Argentina goalie. Uh, in the last minute of extra time, that would have given France the win. They went to penalty kicks, and Argentina won on those penalty kicks 4-2 to two to capture their first World Cup title since 1986. All right, so huge game. Uh, Leo Messi had two goals for Argentina in that game, also scored on the penalty kick. France, Kylian Mbappe, that dude had a hat trick. He scored all three of France's goals in the loss. Now, uh, I don't know shit about crap when it comes to soccer, all right? But I do know that Kylian Mbappe is the best player in the world. That guy is incredible. I think he's only like 23 years old, too. Uh, he won the, the MVP of the World Cup, just absolutely deserving, uh, despite France coming up short. Uh, that guy, yeah, I you know, that game, I didn't see really any of it. I saw the highlights of it. 
not obviously don't watch soccer, but um, I did see the highlights. That game was super entertaining. And from what I've heard and what I've read on other uh, shows and podcasts, um, that was probably one of the best World Cup final games that we've ever seen. So um, that was pretty cool that that happened uh, this year. Um, got four years uh, until the next World Cup, and uh, it's going to be hosted here in the U.S. Part of it is, so hopefully uh, Team USA can get back on track with that one. But that is going to wrap up the 102nd episode of the Sports Island Podcast. Um, very heavy episode this week, and uh, we got a lot of exciting stuff. It's Christmas week, all right, Christmas Eve on Saturday, Christmas Day on Sunday, so we'll have some NBA basketball, some NFL football coming at you hot and heavy. Of course, college bowls are still rolling on through the holiday. And um, certainly we're going to have a lot to talk about next week as well. But until then, uh, have a very Merry Christmas. Uh, stay safe and be well. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.